Welcome to the IC Made On podcast. We are so glad that you've chosen to listen online. If you would like to know more about who we are, why we exist, our service times and location, or how you can get involved, then check out our website at icmadeon.com. We hope you enjoy the message today. Right. Good morning. It's great to see you guys. Man, I'm excited about the message today. I'm excited about any first-time guests. If this is your first time here, my name is Pastor Chris, and I'm the lead pastor at IC Maidan. Just want to introduce myself, because if this is your first time here, you don't know me yet, and I'm a stranger, but now we're friends. So, uh, And everyone else, happy that you're here. I, I think this message is going to be helpful. I believe that God has brought you here for a reason. We're never here by mistake, and God knows exactly the word that you need to hear. And I believe uh, this message will prepare our hearts. We're still in um, the general epistles. We're still in 1 Peter, and we're going to, like I said, if you were here uh, in previous weeks, we're going to go through 1 and 2 Peter over the next few weeks. And 1 Peter, a little bit of the background, we shared some of it, but just as a recap, it's written between 60 to 65 AD, and Peter was writing to prepare the Christians who were suffering and being persecuted. They were in struggles and, and trials and, and troubles and all these different things. And he was writing to encourage them and to prepare them. Uh, basically, the, the bottom sort of outlines part of First Peter. Having hope, living holy, being different, not of this world, and being people of another kingdom, the kingdom of God. The key verses for this series that we have used uh, the past few weeks, this is week three, is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. But you are the ones chosen by God. You know, we were singing, who does God say you are? Who do, who do you say that I am? God says you are chosen by him. God says that you are chosen for the high calling of priestly work. He says that you are chosen to be holy people that you are God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourself cozy in it. So this is, man, these scriptures, I, this is something you could wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and just read this to yourself, right? To, to kind of pump yourself up. I am chosen. You know, I, I have a, a priestly calling. This is who God says we are. This is the, in these few scriptures, this sort of defines what a Christian is. So if you're here this morning and you have given your life to Jesus and you're following him, you're a part of God's kingdom, this is who he says you are. This is who God says that you are. He says, this world is not your home. We talked about last week the, the kingdom of God. And just a, a brief recap in case you weren't here last week. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning was the heavens and the earth. One kingdom, God's kingdom. Then Adam rebelled and the kingdoms were divided. It was the, the kingdom of the earth and the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus had to come to provide a way that the people of the kingdom of earth could be accepted back into God's kingdom. That's why Jesus came. He came to, to restore. He came to offer reconciliation, harmony, peace to all who would say, hey, I'll, I'll come back. 
And God opened the doors to the kingdom. And he said in the verse we even read last week, I'm not going to count your sins against you. I sent Jesus. He handled that. Your sins are not counted against you. Just come back to the kingdom. That was the offer made. And if you're here this morning and you haven't entered God's kingdom, you, you haven't decided to follow Jesus, at the end of the service, you'll have that opportunity because the door is open to all of us. God wants you back. You're here this morning hearing this message because God wants to tell you one more time, I want you to be a part of my family. So we'll have a chance for that at the end. We also talked about being a part of the kingdom. We unlearn the ways of the earthly kingdom and we learn the ways of, the God, of God's kingdom. And we're ambassadors. So we are supposed to be speaking out for him. And I like in those verses, it doesn't say that we need to, be, we need to go and become theologians. You know, oh, God saved me. We all need to go to seminary. We all need to be, become scholars of the Bible. What he says how you need to share to the world is go and tell people how God changed you. You don't need to study anything to know how God changed you. You know that. Man, I, I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. You know what God did, and that's our assignment. You don't have, man, I, I don't know how to explain the gospel, or I, I don't understand all of the book of Revelations, or when Jesus is coming back, and all these things. God's saying, that's not the assignment. Just go tell people how I changed you. That's what will lead people to Jesus. That's how we are ambassadors. And Peter teaches that while the Christians are suffering, he talks to them about the way they should live, how to live according to the ways of God's kingdom. So we're just going to cover the, the first part of chapter three this week. Uh, this week I studied, I prepared the whole, the whole of chapter three for you. It was so many pages. If I had printed it and come up here, you would have been scared to death. Like our I should have had a bigger breakfast, you know, when are we, so I was like, I cut it in half, restructured, and I will share the rest of chapter three after Mission Sunday, which is next week. Um, but he starts out chapter three, Peter does, talking about how Christian wives and Christian husbands should treat one another. So if you are like me and you like practical teaching from the Bible, where you can see, here's what God says. Here's what will happen if I do it. Here's what might not happen if I don't do that. If you like it practical, then you will like this because this is practical. Here's how you should live. Peter is preparing the people, preparing them to live different because we are called to live different. And preparation is very important. Benjamin Franklin says that by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. That's a very simple statement, but it makes a lot of sense. If we don't prepare ourselves, we're preparing to fail. So Peter is trying to prepare the people, meaning being made ready, ready to do something, ready to deal with something. He knows the needs of the people. They need to be prepared because there's all this, these struggles that the Christians are facing, and there's worse that's coming. So he's writing to them to prepare them to live their lives in that time. And I think for us, everyone in this room faces their own struggles, their own problems, their own trials. Sometimes it's small problems. Sometimes it's big problems. We're all living in the, in the same earthly kingdom. Those of us that are followers of Jesus, we are of another kingdom, but we're all on this world. We all suffer the same things. 
We could talk about, it's why life group is so good. You feel like you're all alone, dealing with something alone, and you go to life group and realize everyone else is dealing with the same thing. So that's why God's inspiration through Peter that he wrote thousands of years ago is relevant for us today. How do we live in a time where we're facing struggles? How can we be prepared? You know, in the Boy Scouts in America, be prepared is the motto. I used to be a Boy Scout. This was the, this was the salute. Be prepared. Prepared for what? Prepared for anything. I am prepared for anything. I was like 10 or 11 years old in the Boy Scouts. We were taken out to the, to the woods or the forest, the Hutan. We learned how to cook on a fire. We learned how to camp, how to hike, how to tie dozens of different types of knots. I've never used that again because all I really have to tie is my shoes. Every once in a while, some raffia if I'm putting something on the roof of the car. But that's it, you know. But I can tie knots if I need to. We learned even how to find food in the hutan that we could just find it and eat it. We learned how to survive. I remember this guy that was uh, one of the, the scout masters of our troop. I remember his name, J.T. Dabbs. I was only like 10 or 11 years old, but this guy was so impressive. He was around 19 or 20 years old. For us, as 10 and 11-year-olds, we were like, this guy knows everything. He, he knows the secrets of the world. He's so old. He knows it all. We called him Nature Boy because he knew everything about nature. We had been on hikes with him, and he would go to a plant, pull it out of the ground, and the root, start cutting it with a knife and eating it. We were so amazed. We can eat that? Then we, we went to have water. He didn't carry uh, a canteen like we had or a cup even for the water. If we went to a stream of water, he just dropped down in push-up position and lowered his mouth into the water and drank straight from the stream. We we're all like, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. Nature boy. We wanted to be like him. I remember later, my, my good friend, Jamie Phillips, became our... Um, scout leader, the, the child leader. So he's like 12 years old. So he knows everything more than the 10 and 9-year-olds, right? I'm his assistant. His dad was the, the scout master. So anyway, he's the leader. I'm his assistant. We're on a hike. We've been prepared. We've been trained. I scouted ahead of Jamie, and I found some leaves that I was sure were the same leaves we saw in our handbook. Hey, we can eat these. I picked some and started eating them. I took some for my friend because I was raised to be polite. I took them to Jamie, offered him a handful of leaves. said, hey, man, I found some snacks on the side of the trail. He's like, oh, thanks. He starts eating them. We're just standing there chewing the leaves. I felt so manly. I could survive. I could be lost out here. I could live off these the rest of my life. Suddenly, Jamie's face starts turning red. His mouth starts itching like crazy. His throat's itching. He's having a hard time breathing. His voice is getting scratchy. I mean, he's itching all over. He's like, Chris, where did you get those leaves? I was like, just on the trail. They were in the book. We can eat those. He was like, were they just growing on their own? Where were they? And I said, no, it was on a vine growing around the tree. He's like, that was, that was poison ivy. Was that, uh, what is that here, like... Gelatang, something like that, something itch, this itchy leaf, you know. He's like itching. He had to go to the hospital. I sent my friend to the hospital. 
I was okay. Apparently, I'm immune to uh, poison ivy, but my friend was in the hospital. That ended my career. I never became the leader of our troop. Uh, I was immune to poison ivy. I was not immune to the politics of Boy Scouts because um, his dad was our scoutmaster. So. But I thought I was prepared, but I was not prepared at all. I think many of us have experiences of something in life that maybe we weren't prepared for. Maybe in university, not prepared for an exam. No matter how hard you tried to prepare, when the exam came, oh, I'm not prepared for this. Maybe you didn't prepare for it, just stayed up all night playing video games and, you know, and, and then the next day, uh-oh, I didn't prepare. I failed my driver's exam three times. I'm not very proud of that. Three times I failed. I, I, I've got this beautiful girl I want to take out on a date and I can't even, I have a car and I can't drive it because I kept failing the test. It took me four times. One of the tests that I failed, I went through a red light and just kept going. I didn't stop. I was changing lanes without using the signal. I even, on a one-way street, I turned the wrong way. Basically, it was like any day driving in Maidan. Because uh, I failed the test, but then I got here. I was like, this is no problem. That's a one-way. No problem. Red light, got out of police. Straight on. I was prepared for here, but I wasn't prepared for that test. I failed it. I wasn't prepared when my first daughter, or my only daughter, but my first child was born. I was in the room for the births of all four of my children, in the room. But the first one, I was not ready for that. I should have gone to a class. There's classes. I didn't go to a class. I didn't look at any books, which that probably would have made it worse. Uh, but I wasn't prepared. There was a lot of sweating, a lot of heavy breathing, dizziness, and that was me. Uh, I don't know how Carrie was. I couldn't help her. I was having my own problems. Um, the nurses left her at the bed and came to me, brought me a chair. They said, you don't look good. I said, I don't feel good. They, they put me in a chair. They went and got me a Sprite. They were taking care of me. Meanwhile, my wife's over in the bed like, I'm having a baby over here. You know, everyone's taking care of me. I wasn't prepared for it. Maybe you've had some loss or some tragedy in your life that you weren't prepared for. Maybe something heavier. You know, these are other things we might not be prepared for. Maybe some tragedy. Maybe you lost someone that you love. Either they left, maybe they passed away. Something that, that at that moment you just felt like, man, I wasn't prepared for this. I can remember as a six-year-old little boy, I wasn't prepared to come home from school one day and my mom be sitting there and say, your dad left. I wasn't prepared for that. I remember seeing her sitting there crying and she's like, dad's gone. I remember looking out the window, me and my little brother watching to see if we could see his truck come back. He never drove back to that house. I wasn't prepared for that. And if I think about it now, it still hurts. As a child, there's things that we can't be prepared for, but, but as adults, and especially as Christians, we can be prepared. We can be prepared for most things, even loss, even tragedies. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Struggles are going to come. Suffering's going to come. 
It hurts, but when we're prepared, the difference is it doesn't knock us on our back. You know, we've all been there where something happened and we weren't prepared and we were knocked flat. You may be there right now. You're, you're still, I'm, I'm on the ground now. Something hit me this week. Something hit me last week. Something hit me. I've been, I've been down for a year. I'm not where I should be. Maybe you have a family member or a friend like that. They weren't prepared. And when the struggles of life hit them, it just knocked them flat on their backs. But we can be prepared. God's word prepares us for life. Peter is preparing the people. There are struggles coming. There's, there's, there's worse things. You're facing bad things now, and he knows they're facing more to come. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 12, this is what we looked at last week, but it, it connects with this week. Dear brothers, you are only visitors here. Since your real home is in heaven, I beg you to keep away from the evil pleasures of this world. They are not for you, for they fight against your very souls. Be careful how you behave among your unsaved neighbors. For then, even if they are suspicious of you and talk against you, they will end up praising God for your good works when Christ returns. Peter's basically telling them, be careful how you behave around unsaved neighbors, around your family and friends that don't know Jesus. Be careful how you live. Be careful uh, what your life is showing them. What Peter is basically saying is that as Christ's ambassadors, as representatives of God's kingdom, the best way we can portray our message or deliver our message to our friends and family and neighbors is through our life. It's not through the words we speak. It's through the way we live. So Peter was saying, even in the struggles, even in the sufferings, be careful how you live among your unsaved neighbors. Let me see. I've got something here. I went into... Nemo's Lamari, and I pin jump something. Nemo's room is full of dangerous things. Don't be afraid. This is just an airsoft rifle. I know someone's thinking, oh, no, an American with a gun, get out. <laughs> it's, it's, not that, it's not that dangerous. I do have the bullets. This is not dangerous at all. Okay. Let's see. Let me just ask you this. How many of you would have faith in me? Look, that balloon is even scared. How many of you would have faith in me that I could shoot that balloon from here and pop it? Anyone? Raise your hand. You have faith in me. Okay. This feels good. Okay. The only one that mattered was right here. My wife has her hand raised. That's good. All right. One of you that has faith in me, come and hold this in your teeth. If you have faith, I can hit it. Just come, make it more interesting. Who was it has faith? Anyone? Melvin, do you, do you really have faith? You don't feel pressured? You got it? Okay. All right. Let's get the... Get the pump behind it. Okay. If it's straightforward, it's going to hurt because this will go straight through. You might want to turn sideways. Okay. Melvin, do you have faith? Okay. I'm not really going to do that. Okay. Thank you, Melvin. 
Can we give Melvin a hand? That was, someone was getting scared. I think three people left. Uh, this guy's still terrified. Um, the point of that is, several people raised their hand and said they had faith that I could do it, right? But of those that raised your hand, if you really had faith I could do it, you wouldn't have been afraid to come put your teeth and hold it, right? If you have faith that it could happen, it doesn't matter, right? The, the point is that our faith affects our actions. How we, how we act has to do with our faith. Melvin showed real faith, right? Hey, I, yes, I have faith you can shoot the balloon. Are you willing to hold it in your teeth? Yes, because I have faith you can shoot the balloon. It's what Peter is saying that our lives should show our faith. Our actions should show what we believe. As Christians, we don't need to say so much. What we do and how we live tells the world what we believe. That's how our, our message can be delivered. When you have faith, your actions will show it. God's word prepares us. God's word builds our faith. And then our faith is shown by our actions. Honestly, what people are tired of in the world is just hearing about faith, right? Some of you here today, you may have been there too. I'm tired of hearing about it. People want to see someone live faith. People leave churches because I've been here. I'm not really seeing it. These people aren't any different than who I was with out there. I don't see anything different. I, I hear a lot about faith. There's a lot of talking about it, but I, I don't see people living out their faith. Peter is talking about living out their faith. There's people in this church I talk to every week or hear testimonies about them that they are here because of the change they've seen in your lives. Some of you here, maybe you have a friend or a family member. We hear about these testimonies all the time. Hey, hey, what are you doing here at the church? Well, I, I saw a change in my son's life. I saw, I saw a change in, in my sister's life, and I decided to come. My brother started acting totally different, and I wanted to see what this was about. Life change, it affects people. You, if you don't believe me, ask some people in the lobby, hey, how did you start coming here? What, what, what drew you here? Or how did you start following Jesus? For most of us, it wasn't, you know what? What really got me was this one scripture verse, I've memorized it, or this one message that the pastor preached, usually it's because you saw someone living it. I saw something different, and I wanted to see what that was. First Peter chapter 3, Peter shares two areas that will speak loudly to the world. Two areas that if we live our lives, live our faith in these areas, it will impact the world. It will speak in a loud way and show what we really believe about God. Number one, how you love will show the world how he loves. These will speak loud to the world. How you love will show the world how he loves. And when you do good, it shows the world that he is good. Let me give you an example. Husbands, your love for your wife reveals your love for your God. Ouch. That's tough. Anyone that had an argument on the way to church this morning is like, well... Now, we all have arguments from time to time, but how you love your, your wife reveals how you love your God. Wives, how you love your husband reveals how you love your God. Christians, the Bible tells us clearly how we love our enemies even reveals how we love our God. 
And the, the, the negative side of this would be that we can't tell people that we love God with all our heart and then treat our wives badly. Our wives, you can't tell people, I love God with all my heart, but you talk badly about your husband. As Christians, we can't even tell people that we love God with all our heart, but I hate this people group, or I hate this religion, or I hate this. If you love God with all your heart, the word hate doesn't, doesn't appear in your vocabulary, except for hating sin. I love God with all my heart, but I, I hate this guy, and I hate this group, and I hate these people. It's not, that's not Christianity. So Peter is telling them, hey, life is difficult. We're of another kingdom, but we live in the kingdom of this world. We're all going to face struggles. We're all going to have problems. It's going to be difficult. Be careful how we live. Live your faith because it will speak loudly to the people around you, and it will even cause them to come to Jesus. Ask the person beside you, are you ready for love? This is a quick transition. Just ask someone beside you, are you ready for love? If our love shows God's love, tell the other person beside you, I'm ready for love. The single people get really excited about this, depending on who's there. I'm ready for love. I'm not. Are you ready for love? Point number one, are you ready for love? And I will admit, I got the point here from that song, I'm ready for love. Ooh, baby, I'm ready for... You know, that, that's an old song. But I was thinking about that. Are you ready for love? I'm ready for love. I found the person I love, but we, we want love, right? How many of you want love in your life? And just because we're married, we don't say that. Of course, we want it. Single people, you want love. We, we want love. Here's, here's what we need to do is be able to offer it to someone else. Often, we're looking for what we want, and maybe we need to be prepared Here's the thing, to prepare ourselves and for all you single people, this should be on your list of who you're looking for. You know, this should be above uh, dark hair, brown eyes, whatever, whatever, whatever. This should go above those. Love is patient. Love is kind. 1 Corinthians 13. Those things, if on your list, ladies, the guy you're looking for, you don't have patient and kind, you might find trouble. Patient and kind should be on there. Guys, patient and kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking or selfish. It's not easily angered. That one confuses me all the time when I see couples that are just dating and one of them is easily angered. I'm always thinking, why don't you... What, what do you... Why would you go ahead with that? Oh, yeah, I'm dating this guy. He gets angry really quick. You want to marry him? You want to live that way for the rest of your life? What are you preparing for? You know? Oh, I, I'm dating someone, but they're not kind. That's the sound of a breakup. Whenever you break up with someone, this is what's heard. You know, oh, they easily angered. What about this? It keeps no record of wrongs. If, if you're dating a girl... And she brings up things you did. Well, last year you forgot our anniversary. And I remember two years ago you forgot my birthday. And you're just dating? Why would you suffer through that right now? Why would you be, why would you be dating someone that you just make each other miserable? 
where do you see that going? Why do, why do you want to see that going? You know, just practical things. Find someone that's like this, patient, kind, doesn't remember when I do wrong, forgives me. You know, not, not angry. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always pr- protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Look for those things. And while you're looking, make sure you're like that. For all of us that are married, this is what we should look at this every day. Man, I messed up on kind this week. I can work on it. I can be better. There's several love stories in the Bible that are an example to us of what love looks like. Great couples. One of them, Jacob and Rachel. If you remember this story, Jacob goes to Laban's house and he's looking for his wife. He's looking for a wife. He's just chatter history, right? And, and some of the single guys in here, that's what you're looking for, your wife. He gets there. He finds her. Laban's youngest daughter, Rachel, he falls in love with her. And he even makes this proposal to Laban. He says, I will work for you for seven years if you will let me have your youngest daughter as my wife. He loved her so much. He was willing to work seven years out in the field to get her. How many guys in here had to work seven years to get your wife? Boy, that would, be, that would be the test, wouldn't it? Seven years. And if you know this story, you know in the end he had to work 14 years. But he loved her. He loved her so much. It says in the scripture, it says, so he worked for seven years. Jacob worked for seven years. And the scripture says that those seven years seemed like only a few days to Jacob because of his love for her. Oh, I was shocked I didn't hear that. Oh, how, how sweet is that? He worked for seven years. All he wanted was Rachel to be his wife. He worked for seven years, and he's like, it only felt like a few days because I love her so much. He was, he was so happy that he was going to be able to have her as his wife. Hannah and Elkanah, Hannah, Samuel's mom, this couple, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, We are introduced to Elkanah. We're told he had two wives, Penina and Hannah. I was confused in one of the earlier services because I thought Penina was a sandwich. (laughs) But that's Panini. (laughs) Panini is a sandwich. Penina is one of Elkanah's wives. Penina and Hannah. While Penina had children, Hannah did not. But even though Hannah could not give him any children, Elkanah loved her the most. Man, think about this. This was in a day where the wife being able to give a son to her husband was one of the most important things. And imagine you're one of two wives. Elkanah has these two wives. One of them's giving him children. Hannah cannot. And she wants to. And she is heartbroken. And she is so disappointed. She's so insecure because of this. But the scripture says he loved her the most. He even said in in verse 8, he sees her crying. He knows the struggle she's facing and, and how bad she's hurting. And he says, Hannah, why are you crying? And why are you not eating? And why is your heart so sad? Am not I better to you than ten sons? Think, listen to the compassion and the the tenderness in his voice. That's the type of husband you should be looking for if you're 
a single lady in here, someone who he didn't use this opportunity to, to beat her up with it. Wow, you've never given me a son. Using that to, to bully her around. Instead, he's like, hey, I, I see you're hurting. Why are you crying? Am I not enough? I don't, I don't care that you're not giving, giving this to me. I just don't want you to be sad. I don't want you to cry. He knew her disappointments and her struggles, and he put his own needs and desires to the side to help his wife un- overcome this and be comforted. Joseph and Mary, that's a great couple, an example of love. Mary, the angel Gabriel comes to her and tells her through this uh, miraculous means she is going to give birth to God's own son, Jesus. And the angel talks to Joseph as well. Mary is taking a chance. We know this story. She's going to be mocked and ridiculed because she's this, this young teenage girl who's going to be pregnant and she's not married yet. But she goes ahead and does it because God said, this is, this is what I need you to do. And Joseph stays by her side, and they face it together. They're a beautiful example of two people whose love brought glory to God. What are you preparing for? When you're, when you're thinking about love and, and how to love and the type of love you're looking for, are you ready for love? Are you preparing for something beautiful? Single ladies in here, are you dating a guy that would be willing to work seven years just to have you for his wife? Are you dating a guy that can put his handphone down for seven minutes to talk to you? Just have a conversation over lunch? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. This guy works seven years. Guys, are you with a girl who, like Mary, keeps God as number one? She's focused. She's pure. I mean, we, we know the whole miracle of it is she's the Virgin Mary. She was a virgin when she became pregnant with Jesus. She was a virgin while she was engaged to Joseph. She was a virgin while they traveled to Bethlehem. She was a virgin when they got married. She guarded her purity. Are you with a girl that's like that? Are you a guy like Joseph that will help her guard her purity? These are examples of, of love, love stories that these two people, hey, we focus on God. We kept ourselves pure. We followed him. And when we got married, we didn't have all this baggage. God was able to do something with our lives. It doesn't mean that if you failed, it's all over. God can restore you. He can forgive you. If, if you've fallen in this area, you just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've sinned. Please forgive me. Please restore my purity and give me the strength to guard my purity. Help me to find a guide that will not pressure me to give up something that I need to cherish and guard. Guys, find a girl that's not pressuring you. Whatever it is, are you looking for something beautiful? Are you preparing for that? 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This is when it gets into the wives and husbands example. And it's, it's a great preparation for single people. It's a great reminder For those of us who are married, it says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. He's saying, Wives, you've got to understand the, the context that at the time the church is still very new. 
Christianity is still very new, following Jesus. And so there's people that were married and, and maybe the wife began to follow Jesus and her husband didn't. So Peter's telling her how to live. Hey, you keep following Jesus. Well, he does this and he acts like, don't worry about him. You live the way you need to live. And when he sees your life, you don't have to speak it. When he sees your life, it can lead him to Jesus. He says, he tells in the same way that's referring to how Jesus lived. Do not return insult for insult. Do not return evil for evil. And he's saying they may be won over without words, simply by your behavior, simply by how you live your life. It says, continuing in verse 3, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. This isn't saying, ladies, no more makeup, no more fixing your hair, you know. It's it's saying, don't put all your value in that. You're beautiful on the outside, but that's not the main focus there's beauty on the inside. Someone can have a, be, uh, the elaborate hairstyle, all the makeup. Wow, so beautiful. But what does the inside look like? Is the patience and kindness, are those things there? Even the example he uses of Sarah. If you remember when we talked about Sarah, she was probably one of the most beautiful women in all of history. And what is recognized about her beauty is, is not how her face was made up or her hairstyle or the shape of her body. It was the type of wife she was to Abraham, how she loved her husband. That's the beauty that's recognized in her, her inner beauty, this unfading beauty. It's okay to do these other things, but don't put all your value in, this is who I am, because there's so much more on the inside. God was focused on who she was, not what she looked like. Then verse 7 talks to the husbands. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is saying, husbands, be considerate. Put your wife's needs first, like Elkanah. We just saw it. Man, Elkanah had some, some needs, some desires, some dreams, but he put all that aside to comfort his wife, Hannah. Be considerate. Put your wife first. Pull out the chair. Open the door. The little things. The little things are so important. Having compassion, being, being tender, and respect her as an heir with you. Some of these verses in our culture today can be very dangerous to read. I get a little nervous when I'm having to read that, that women are weaker in this PC culture. It doesn't mean women are weaker intellectually or spiritually. It's simply meaning that generally men are stronger physically than women. I think we can agree on that generally. 
there's some women in here that, that work out. There's some fitness trainers in here that some of you guys should not take on in an arm wrestling match because I think you get beat. But generally, respect them because they're, they're the weaker vessel. Protect them. Provide. He's telling the things that we need to do. And I, I love the challenge of this last part. Do this so that your prayers are not hindered, blocked, unanswered. Think about that for a moment, men. He's telling this, husbands, treat your wives like this so that your prayers will not be hindered. Imagine if you're a man in here and maybe you're praying for something and you're not getting an answer to that prayer. Man, I've been bringing this to God. He's not answering me. God's question may be, how are you treating your wife? I hear you. I'm just not going to do anything about it until you start treating her better. I think it could be the same for wives. Man, you're praying for something. There's something you want from God. There's an answer you're looking for. He's not answering. How are you treating your husband? How are you loving him? Treat your husbands and wives right so that it won't hinder your prayers, so that God can answer your prayers. Here's some ways to strengthen your relationship. This is from Gary Thomas the author of a book, Sacred Marriage. These are just some simple ways. He says, focus on your partner's strength rather than their weakness. Encourage rather than criticize. Pray for your partner instead of talking about them. Learn and live what Christ teaches about relating to and loving others. And what I would add to this is pay attention. Pay attention to your husband. Pay attention to your wife. Notice your partner. Be aware of their needs. So many relationships end because someone quits paying attention. Someone quits noticing. There's this popular TV series in the U.S. right now that Carrie and I watch sometimes. I'm not going to give the title so that what I say is not a spoiler. But in this story, there was this couple that gets a divorce. They, ha- they were friends with another couple. They, they all went on double dates together. They... They ended up getting married around the same time. The four of them were always together. So the one guy asked the other one, what happened? Why why did you guys get a divorce? There was no big thing that happened. There was no cheating or infidelity. There was no big financial disaster. Nothing big happened. The guy was explaining that when we first got married, every morning I would wake up, the first thing I would do is make two cups of coffee. One for me, one for my wife. Every morning, the first thing, make two cups of coffee, one for me, one for my wife. She would wake up and come in into the living room and we would have coffee together. He said, I did that for years. And then one morning I got up. I don't know why, I just didn't make the second cup of coffee. I made my coffee and went and sat down and just started sipping on my coffee. And he said, what, what really hit me was when my wife walked into the room She didn't even notice that I didn't make it. The the little things, that's what will tear up a marriage. Man, what happened? I don't know. Someone just quit paying attention. Someone quit doing the little things that are so important. And God's saying, hey, love each other. Your love, the way you love one another is not only speaking loudly to the world, it speaks to your children. If, If we want our children to grow up and have great marriages... We need to be a model of great marriages. My parents got divorced. Carrie's parents got divorced. 
After eight months, we were ready to get a divorce. That was what was modeled for us. And thankfully, someone shared with us about Jesus. God saved us. The only reason we can still be married today is because God rescued us. He came in and changed it. And we decided, you know what? We're going to put an end to this generational curse. So at that point, their divorce, we would have gotten divorced. Probably our children would have been looking at that. We need to make a model. As, as, as parents, we need to have a, a point in our life where we say, hey, enough of this. No more. I'm ending it with me. Many of us have things in our family that maybe we've seen passed down. Maybe things our parents struggled with, and you're struggling with that. You can, you can be the end to it. Don't pass it on down to your children. One thing I love, a last thing from Gary Thomas, this author, that he says about marriages. He said one prayer that he prays that he finds gets answered just about every time is this. Lord, how can I love my partner today like he or she has never been loved before? He's saying, husbands, if you wake up in the morning and say, how can I love my wife like she has never been loved before? He said, God answers that prayer. The simple things, whether it's fixing her a cup of coffee, whether it's going to, to pick up the kids because he knows she's got a busy day, whether it's doing a load of laundry, whatever it is, he said, God always shows him something he can do to show his love. And when we do that, it shows the world. The second thing is, are you ready for doing good? And can I ask the worship team to come up? We're going to pray and worship a little bit more at the end. The ready for doing good just means, are you ready to do good even when people do evil to you? Because that's what Peter is saying. The first thing is talking about in our marriage, in our close relationships. And then from there, he says, are you ready to do good even when people do evil to you? Verses 8 through 12 talk about this. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. Repay evil with blessing. It talks about being compassionate, humble, kind to others. And when you do that, God will bless you for it. He says, if you want a happy, good life, keep control of your tongue. Do good and live in peace. He recognized that this was hard. God knows this is hard. It's not natural. How many of you doing good to someone who does evil to you, that just came naturally? Oh, I just, no, it's something, it's, you have to be prepared. You have to prepare yourself. Your faith has to grow, but we are called to do good. It's the way of God's kingdom. And the last verse I want to share is verse 15 that ties this together. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Think about this verse for a moment. This doesn't have anything to do with, about, with what we say. Trying to convince people, hey, you need to follow Jesus. Hey, you need to quit sinning. Hey, you need to bertobat, bertobat, bertobat. This is saying, live your life and they will come and ask you. This isn't someone telling someone. This is someone who was living their life in such a way. Peter says, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks. If we live our faith, we don't even have to go. And you guys know as well as I do, your unsaved family member that you want so bad to, to be saved and follow Jesus, more often than not, the words we use are offending them and making them angry. 
Peter's saying, live your faith, and they'll come and ask you, hey, how do you have peace in this situation? How are you experiencing joy when things are going wrong in your life? How, how are you doing good to this person that, that did you wrongly? How are you doing? They will come and ask. All we have to do is live our faith 